hello, hello. Welcome back to JFS In Conversation, a podcast that talks about important societal issues to make sure that these topics do stay in conversation. The topic of the week is women's reproductive health and justice. And joining us is Libby from the American National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice. Libby, how are you? I'm well. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining. And um, I guess just to start, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Sure, absolutely. So I'm Lupe Rodriguez. I'm the executive director of the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice and um, have been uh, doing work in reproductive justice for, uh, what is it, 15, 16 years now um, and have, uh, you know, transition from a career in science to, to doing social advocacy and uh, with, a, with a specific view and, and focus on reproductive justice. Um, and so just super excited to talk about the work that we do at Latina Institute, we can call us that for short, um, and, and share about the work of, of reproductive justice. Wonderful, um, and that's great to hear. So I guess uh, just to start, what do you define reproductive justice as? So reproductive justice is a framework um, that was created by Black women in the 90s as a way to center those who are most impacted by social and reproductive justices that we see in this country. When you think about reproductive justice, it's like a lens that you use to look at the world around you um, that centers around the autonomy, perspectives, and well-being of women, um, and, and specifically Black women and women of color. So again, I think that that's a really important part um, that to center uh, in the definition of reproductive justice, that it really looks at how um, society and the constructs and, and the oppressions in society have intersected to um, you know, keep folks from having control over their own bodily autonomy. And it really focuses on um, all of the different intersecting um, issues that um, affect people's lives in, and, and their ability to make choices for themselves and their families. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 distinct from reproductive rights and reproductive um, health um, in that, um, again, it looks at the different different intersecting uh, issues that people face. And um, although it does work to, to um, make sure that we continue to have the, the you know the right to reproductive health care um, that we continue to think about how uh, folks have access to that health care um, but but it, it goes it goes further and it looks at um, all of the different um, you know again uh, intersecting oppressions that, that keep folks from being able to make the best choices for themselves and their families around um, their reproductive lives and um, and and you know their lives and in, in their families Definitely, for sure. Um, and I did also just want to follow up with that, uh, with the question of, can you briefly tell us a bit about you and what the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice does, I guess, in specific, um, if, if there are any specific goals or missions that you guys uh, really push, anything like that? Yeah, definitely. Thanks for, for that, that space to share about that. Um, you know, at Latina Institute, our goal is to, to ensure that the voices and experiences of the Latino and Latinx communities are not forgotten, that they're centered and that they are taken into account in all decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, specifically, um, we work, uh, we're the only national organization that builds power among Latinas and Latinxes in the fight for reproductive justice. Um, we work to expand access, as I mentioned, to quality reproductive health care. Um, but we also think about how we can help our community unleash their power to be able to advocate for themselves and their communities um, for reproductive justice. So a really big part of our work is to build the power of community members. Um, and then we also look at 
um, how we make change through um, political advocacy, um, through legislative uh, changes, and really, again, ensuring that we um, we lift up the fact that the, uh, the legal right to um, reproductive health care has to be maintained, but also that it's not enough uh, for our communities to actually have real um, access and choices around the reproductive lives. Um, and then finally, we do a lot of work around culture shifts, so really dismantling the myths that exist around Latinos and Latinx uh, community members um, and uh, you know, around reproductive health care, um, and also working within the community to, to change um, perspectives and attitudes and to support folks in, in kind of understanding the connections between um, you know, the, the, the political world, so the, the world that exists outside of a, an individual and their family, um, and thinking about how all those things come together to shape a person's lived experience. Um, so we do a lot of work um, to, to shift culture around that and, and to really um, push the envelope for um, our community members uh, to, uh, to change perspectives at, at large about, about where the community stands and, and what the community wants for themselves and their families. Mm -hmm, for sure. And I know you talked about this a little earlier, um, but were there any sort of, I guess, main aspects of healthcare that the category of reproductive health includes? So I guess for listeners, mm -hmm. um, just I think for a lot of people, there might be some aspects that they wouldn't really consider uh, to, to count as reproductive health, but in reality, uh, actually is actually reproductive health. So um, just to, I guess, uh, put that mm -hmm. out there for all the listeners. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, first, I want to clarify that at Latina Institute, we are not a direct services provider. Mm -hmm. um, we do advocacy trainings around reproductive health and justice issues. Um, uh, we don't provide reproductive health care. Um, but I can say that reproductive health care includes things like breast, uh, ovarian and prostate cancer screenings, um, STI testing and treatment, um, the care involved around um, menstruation, um, uterine fibroids, cysts. Um, it also includes things, of course, like family planning, contraception, uh, to prenatal care and abortion. Um, so, so it really runs the gamut of, of um, uh, you know, support for uh, the, the reproductive organs of, of, of individuals, but, um, and, and it sort of, again, goes beyond just like birth control and prenatal care and abortion, which is, I think, most of what folks think, think about, but, but it's about the, the entire system of care for um, folks with reproductive um, systems. And, um, and, and, and that includes um, male identifying individuals, right? Like, like it is, it, you know, reproductive health care is also um, a part of their lives. And I think that that's something that is often forgotten. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I'm, I'm sure we'll get to uh, the other aspects um, of uh, reproductive health care later. But as you mentioned, of course, abortion is generally speaking what uh, most people think about when uh, they, they think about reproductive health. And so I did want to also talk about the hypocrisy of the pro-life crowd and specifically the intersectionality between, again, um, different issues of, of oppression, like you mentioned. Uh, so I guess to just provide a little context, of course, for our listeners, many pro-lifers don't really support welfare. Um, and uh, with that comes along, of course, the abolition of ICE, like queer rights or racial justice, um, in, in which speaking of these, all of these would definitely increase the well-being of all children in the United States, and I'm sure in other places as well. But what are your thoughts on the fact that they really do only support fetuses in the womb rather than actual living kids? Mm -hmm. um, and how do you think that plays into issues like, again, welfare, abolition of ICE, queer rights, et cetera, racial justice, um, that are, again, really heavily affected by this topic? 
I'm so glad you asked this question, Jazz, because I think it really, um, it gets to the heart of the issue. Um, you know, first I'd like to note that we've seen more abortion bans and restrictions enacted across the U.S. in the first half of 2021 than in any other year. And by June of this year, state legislators had already passed 90 laws restricting abortion care. Um, and, and, you know, these attacks are not new. Um, but they have spiked to record highs in the recent, in the last, um, you know, 10 years. And the cruelty of these laws is worse than ever. It really is like very punitive, very criminalizing um, communities of, and for, for getting the care that they need. And, and, and that's, um, I think, a part of, of, of your question, right, that, um, you know, we know that um, in places like Texas, so for example, Governor Greg Abbott in Texas here in the United States signed a law, a measure that would ban abortion in Texas as early as six weeks um, before many people even realize they're pregnant. And um, not only that, right, like that's a part of the law, but the law would also um, allow people to sue a provider or anyone who helps an individual obtain an abortion. Uh, whether by providing financial assistance, transportation, lodging, uh, or even information about abortion care. So it would open up the legal system to continue to criminalize supportive systems that um, allow people to have the right, the, the constitutional right that they have in the U.S. to an abortion. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really, it's a really grave situation we're in. Um, and so, you know, agreed that meanwhile, um, while all these politicians are um, passing these restrictive laws, we're seeing some of the highest maternal mortality rates in, in Texas, specifically and in the country in the US, um, as part of um, an, an, you know, an industrialized nation, we have some of the highest rates of maternal mortality and maternal death. Um, and, and, and again, specifically in the states where, where these laws are being passed, we have that. Um, and then, and then we know that there's lack of affordable health care at the same time, lack of affordable child care, um, abysmal health care outcomes for communities of color and Latinos and, bl and Black individuals um, and other underserved communities. And so you're right. I mean, there's a co conflation of policy and legislation and anti, um, you know, anti-health uh, you know, demonstrations that are happening um, in these in these legislative bodies, um, where not only are folks being kept from the right to abortion, but being kept from even access to healthcare on a basic level, and and where even you know things like prenatal care and other care that could support um, the you know reducing these awful maternal mortality rates that we have is not supported. Um, so you know. I will say that it can seem really starkly hypocritical that the politicians who attack abortion access, racial justice, the LGBTQ plus community, and people who immigrate to this country um, for a chance of a better life are the same politicians who slash funding for programs to combat poverty and improve healthcare access. Um, but, but it's true, and it, it is very much aligned. They're all deeply rooted in the belief that those who are othered um, are less deserving of rights and bodily autonomy than those of us um, or, or those in the, our community who have money, who have power and who have privilege. Um, and, and really, you know, what it comes down to, and I'll just end here, that I think all of these policies, anti-abortion policies, anti-immigrant policies, anti-LGBTQ plus policies, anti-child care, anti-health care access policies, all come together 
um, and are intertwined in white supremacy and this country's history of racism and control over the bodies of and reproductive agency of people of color. Um, it really ties back to that because we see that in everything that is presented, there is an element of um, you know, ensuring that folks don't have the basics to be able to have full control over themselves and their families. Um, and, and, and so, you know, it, it's, it's exactly that. And I'll just, you know, I'll add one last thing that, that and, and beyond that, beyond just the fact that, that the same folks who are uh, putting forth um, anti-abortion policies are putting forth all kinds of other anti, um, you know, anti-living policies for community. Um, those folks are also, you know, um, like for, forcing sterilization. I mean, in fact, very recently we had reports in 2020 of um, forced sterilization happening in the detention centers, um, in a detention center specifically in Georgia, in the US. Um, but, but we know that there are reports of this kind of abuse happening with folks in detention as well. And so, so it's a never ending story of oppression, of control, um, and one that, as I said, I think we think comes together in, um, in, in this white supremacist ideal of controlling the bodies and the, and the autonomy of communities of color. Um, and, and it's something that we have to contend with, right? We have to confront head on that the policies that exist were not made for, for all community members. Um, in our country. And it's something that we at Latina Institute are definitely thinking about and, and working on as, we, um, as we're working to reframe the narrative around what, um, you know, how we, how, we, how we make change in this country. Honestly, I think, again, like you've said, it goes very much back to uh, America's system. And I think especially this aspect of like individuality and, and of course, like the, the economy that um, is sort of I, I suppose uh, that America follows and and um, really such large aspects um, of that. I think what a lot of people don't realize, truthfully speaking anyways, um, a lot of people who are pro-lifers, they are often in a place of privilege as in their access to, as we're gonna be talking about later, comprehensive reproductive health care is much easier than people in communities that don't have that access and often mm -hmm. require these services. Um, not to mention again, and, and if I may be so bold as to say, uh, a lot of these laws are that are passed, a lot of these bills that are passed, mm -hmm. legally speaking, it's very easy for someone who isn't in a place of privilege to avoid those laws or those bills. Mm -hmm. um, whereas mm -hmm. if you are not in that sort of place of privilege, so if you're a person of color, if you're part of any, any marginalized group, if you're not um, in a higher socioeconomic uh, economic status, it's very hard for you to do so, legally speaking. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for bringing that up. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose as we're, as we're talking about this um, as well, I did also want to ask you if you could talk about immigrants' access to comprehensive reproductive mm -hmm. health care and the challenges that people who are um, immigrants face in accessing care. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I think what you just said about about it all being intertwined in in this system of white supremacy and, and the maintenance of this caste system really that we've had in in this country. Um, around uh, for for the legacy of the country, right? With legislation is is really important, and um, you know, for us um, in our perspective at Latina Institute, a lot of this kind of comes together with our uh, with immigrant immigrant communities, migrant communities in in the U.S. You know, it's a it's a really important question about the specific and undue impact on on um, immigrants and, and 
the undue impact, I should say, of, of policies that are oppressive and, um, again, not meant to be supportive of um, the dignity and, and, and you know, the, the everyday necessities of communities. Um, and, you know, I, I'll say that just also as a side, you know, it's really, it's a matter that's really close to my heart um, as, a, as a person who's an immigrant in this country who came to this country with my family for, um, to seek health care for my brother. Um, this this question of, of the way that we um, the, treat immigrants and um, the way that uh, you know even even in in our most uh, progressive policy to date uh, with the Affordable Care Act um, in healthcare we we entirely miss the mark on um, you know ensuring that community members who are here um, with without documentation um, have access like that they, they don't and 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 that was squarely written into the law and it kind of again speaks to the continuation of um, of the creation of policy that's exclusionary and that is um, especially exclusionary of, of immigrants um, in this country um, I think you know for us it's, it's very important that this question of who deserves access to healthcare include immigrants, um, regardless of documentation status. Um, we know that um, communities live side by side, right? Like communities, um, uh, your neighbor, like, you know, any kind of like um, disease or other kinds of, 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 of public health issue um, doesn't, you know, it, like there's no barrier <laughs> about like about documentation or about, um, uh, status, right? And so um, the idea that we live side by side with community members um, who, because of documentation, do not have access to healthcare and don't have um, the ways to support their 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 family and their well being, um, and and uh, you know the, the the public health crisis that that creates, but also just like the crisis of uh, of community that, that that creates, I think is really important uh, to recognize. Um, I'll just, you know, I'll add one specific about that, that bill that I mentioned in Texas, um, Senate Bill 8, um, which, which is the law that bans abortion at six weeks and, and further allows criminalization of folks um, who are seeking abortion or who, who support folks having abortion. Um, it goes even further in that it allows um, individuals in community to um, report each other. It makes a situation that's already very difficult for immigrant community members even more um, consuming. You know, we already have in um, in parts of Texas things like checkpoints. You know, in the country checkpoints um, to to find folks who are undocumented. Um, and and the more that we create laws like like this that continue to criminalize individuals, the more folks go into uh, into hiding, right? The more folks go into um, not being able to, uh, um, you know, take their children to school, to to go to work, to to be a part of of the lives that they're they've been building in this in this country. And so, um, I think that that's another another issue where you know we think about the undue effect of a lot of policy um, on on individuals who are already, um, you know incredibly marginalized by by our systems of, of legislation. Um, and I'll, I'll just add that, like, I think for us, one of the things that's really important is that, as I said, like, we all live in community together, everybody should have access, we believe in just the human right to health care. And so um, individuals, uh, regardless of documentation status should have access for that reason. Um, but one other thing that I'll mention is specifically around reproductive health care. Um, we, you know, we've never had a system that that supports 
uh, folks in uh, in general and getting the care that they need, but it, but it's even worse for communities that are immigrant communities. Um, we've uh, and and then and further, um, we found that even folks who do have some kind of documentation um, still have barriers to get the care that they need because we have a five-year bar right now that makes it so that even if you have um, uh, documentation to, to legal documentation to be in the country, you still have to wait in order to get access to, um, to healthcare uh, systems. And so, um, so again, just, just this level of, of barrier, even, even, you know, even for folks who are quote unquote um, legally um, in, in, in the country, um, it, it just creates a, a situation that uh, where the undue effects of, of bad policies, the undue effects of um, discrimination, the undue effects of all of this uh, legislation have, have an incredible uh, compounding undue effect on immigrant communities. Um, and so, so we're, like, we're really concerned about that. Um, and something else I did, of course, I wanted to talk about was that um, we know definitely that the aspect of having resources for reproductive health in various different communities is very limited. And so we've been talking about, of course, uh, marginalized communities, communities that um, maybe aren't so high in terms of like socioeconomic status. Um, and this topic, I think, isn't really often brought up in many reproductive health and rights conversations, which I suppose to add uh, is often very white centered. So would you be able to offer some more insight into this topic and also your thoughts yeah. on what needs to change? Absolutely. You know, this is such an important question and to to make the distinction between like reproductive rights, reproductive health, and and reproductive justice, um, and and you know as I mentioned at the at the top of, of our conversation, um, reproductive justice really looks at all of those intersecting uh, issues outside of just um, the right to healthcare or you know having a, a clinic to go to to get the healthcare. It looks at everything else that keeps folks from actually being able to go to get the healthcare they need and to have. Uh, the full experience of, um, uh, you know, of, of living healthy and, and, and uh, healthy lives. Um, and, and so I think um, we know, like, there are various studies, various sort of analyses of, of, of our system that people uh, of color face systemic inequities in our healthcare systems, um, that Latinx, Black, Indigenous, and other communities of color um, have to overcome layers, the layers I mentioned of barriers to care, um, that they experience much, much higher um, uh, uh, poor health outcomes, so disproportionately higher poor health outcomes than other their white counterparts. Um, we know that, um, that, again, those confounding issues like, you know, lack of resources, living in underserved communities, uh, living um, in, uh, you know, with economic, uh, uh, you know, concerns, uh, living in living in systems of, of racial oppression, um, all contribute to the poor health outcomes. And absolutely, I think that that's a big part of it. Um, and then you know we see things on on the ground in different communities where um, in the United States we also have a, a bevy of different laws in different parts of the country. And so um, you have your Californias and and then your like Floridas or Texas of of the in the U.S. where um, you know we see that like there are laws that restrict different aspects of access to care. So we're thinking about abortion uh, in places like Florida and Texas. Um, you have 
uh, laws that keep folks from getting the care they need right away. You have waiting periods, you have uh, parental um, notification, so for young people, parental notification or for parental consent laws. Um, you have heartbeat and, and ultrasound laws that make it so that folks have to um, go through um, you know, hearing the the, uh, the heartbeat or, or like seeing an ultrasound. Um, so there's just so many other elements as well, even within the, the different parts of the US where there are inequities that compound uh, for certain communities and particularly for communities of color. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's it's a it's a topic that isn't brought up. You're right that like uh, where we talk about you know just sort of the right in general to reproductive health care and and there's a lot of folks who think well if you have the right then everybody should be okay and and again what we recognize through a reproductive justice framework is that that's not the case um, that really folks are um, folks experience a bevy of different um, systems even within the same legal frameworks. Um, because of the existing oppressions that they face. And, and as you said, the, the lack of resources, the, the differences in resources in different communities, um, and, and, and again, the impact that that has. Um, I'll, I'll end by just saying too that like COVID has had such an incredible impact on um, communities and, and our, uh, you know, our access to healthcare. It, it's, I mean, it's been devastating, frankly, um, and not just on, on, on healthcare uh, and, and, and health, you know, quality of life and, and also just like um, health outcomes for folks, um, but it's also on reproductive health care. It, it has a great impact. Um, you know, one of the things that we know is that um, our folks on, on the ground, our communities in the U.S., communities of color have been the hardest hit in, in the U.S. Um, and, and probably around the world, right? Mm -hmm. um, um, folks in specifically in the places where we work at Latina Institute in the Rio Grande Valley, in Texas, um, in, in, in certain parts of Florida have experienced the most um, uh, impact because of this. Um, we see that, um, you know, folks that um, are, are you know, by profession in the service industries have been frontline workers are the most affected and those are also people of color and, and particularly Latino and Latinx community members. Um, and so, you know, and, and not only that, like we've also during COVID seen barriers to healthcare increase. In fact, in Texas, um, the governor of Texas, um, you know, used the pandemic as an excuse to cut access to abortion care and to most reproductive health care, saying it wasn't um, it wasn't critical care. So when all the shutdowns were happening and, and there was like, you know, decisions being made around what health care was was critical, uh, abortion and reproductive health care were not deemed that. And and we saw that as, as a as a ploy. I mean, I think so many community members saw that as a ploy because um, it, there's always this kind of othering of, of reproductive health care um, in 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 the sort of grand scheme of what healthcare is. And, and it was further sort of exacerbated by this pandemic. Um, so I think uh, those are just, you know, some of the thoughts. I, I definitely agree that um, the resources, the, um, the just different barriers that exist that are different for communities of color in getting access to healthcare are a really important part uh, of, of any discussion that we're having about healthcare access. Because, you know, as I said, the reality is that regardless of whether or not people have the legal right to something, it doesn't mean that they have the practical right to have the, the to get the care that they need. It doesn't mean that they're getting it. And it doesn't mean that, um, that they're having good health outcomes because, you know, we see that in the data.
Most definitely. And we know that the lack of um, reproductive rights in many communities often, as we've been saying, affects other ongoing issues. Um, and I know even though we have talked about, uh, you know, some other ongoing issues that uh, the lack of reproductive rights and access uh, in many communities might affect, uh, what do you think are the biggest issues that you do see the lack of reproductive justice affect? Um, and so I suppose, uh, similarly, reproductive rights and health. Well, we see that, um, you know, we see that because of this lack of uh, reproductive uh, healthcare access in our communities, we see, as I said, this, this question of poor health outcomes. Um, we know in, in the US that um, communities of color, Black, Latinx, and other people of color have some of the, uh, the poorest health outcomes in general. Um, life expectancy for our communities is much, it's, is lower than our white counterparts. Um, we also face uh, you know, higher maternal mortality rates, as mentioned, are the Black community in the U.S. Uh, faces some of the highest uh, maternal mortality rates um, in any industrialized nation, and um, and and. And, and, and again, as compared to other community members, some of the highest rates. So, so we definitely see that a lack of access um, to, to this, this care and these services um, is, is leading to, to our communities um, to perish, frankly. It's leading, to, um, it's leading to the kind of health outcomes that lead to death and that lead to um, the, um, the undue uh, burden, uh, you know, of of, um, of mortality on our communities, and so so I think that that's really important to note that it's that it's real. It's not just sort of like you know folks are not getting um, the birth control that they need. You know, we're seeing it manifest in real um, in, in death and 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 um, and really terrible outcomes for our communities. So I'll say that. I mean, I think also. It, broadly speaking, I think lack of, of reproductive health care um, keeps people from being able to um, make the best choices for themselves and their families. Mm -hmm. And the way that that manifests itself, right, is in being able to form and shape the, the size of your family, being able to plan your family, um, being able to um, to really uh, think about like the way that you you care for your family in the future. Um, if folks don't have access to birth control, um, then they might miss out on, on educational opportunities, on, on economic opportunities that they want to take advantage of. And, and, you know, and we find that that continues to be a persistent, um, like I think inequity with, with communities of color and, and white communities that, um, that this lack, persistent lack of, of access to these resources, um, uh, I think is, is, a, is a contributing factor in the inequities that exist in other spaces in education, in, in economics. And so, so I think that that's really important to note. Um, and then finally, I'll just say that I think the last thing is, is in thinking about um, uh, the, the inequities created by lack of reproductive rights and, and health um, is that you have uh, communities that um, you know, are not able to, to also like, make the best choices for themselves as far as um, like growing their families. I think that that's another thing that, that, that folks um, should know about reproductive justice that we're not only about supporting folks in um, controlling their family size or, or you know having power over their family size but also in uh, or uh, sorry in, in terms of like um, uh, limiting their family size so like birth control or abortion but also in growing their families if they want I mean I think that that's a really important part of this that like we believe that everybody regardless of um, 
immigration status, regardless of economics, um, should have the real right and, and real choices to make around growing their families if they'd like. Um, and, and being supported in, in having the families that they want, um, living in dignity, having, you know, proper schools, safe communities, living, you know, not in fear of, of being discriminated against or being, uh, you know, uh, not, not living in fear of racism and, and racist mm -hmm. policies. And so, um, so that's, I think, what we're, what we're going for. And so as part of the framework of reproductive justice, it really is important to say that um, we're thinking about the whole person and not just, um, again, their ability to, to limit their family size, but their ability to grow it too. Um, and, and not having reproductive rights and health is, is keeping our communities from being able to do those things. For sure. And I suppose, as you mentioned, um, I, I think that even I like personally didn't really think so much about the effect that uh, the lack of reproductive um, justice and access uh, would have on, on, like you've said, planning families um, and making huge life decisions. Because of course, when you really do dig deep into the topic and, and this sort of issue, uh, making important reproductive rights uh, or reproductive choices in your own life heavily affect other choices you might make, whether that be um, taking a job somewhere else or uh, going to school or something. Like, I think mm -hmm. even personally, like, I, I didn't really think about that until you brought it up. So thank you so much for sharing that, of course. Um, and yeah. that's definitely something that, um, as we've been talking about, needs to be talked about more um, in general when I think uh, the topic or um, the conversation of reproductive justice is talked about. So um, just as a final question, I did also want to ask, what are the best ways we can all fight for reproductive justice in our everyday lives and to also support people of color um, in the movement to achieve equity and access to healthcare with dignity and justice? I'm so grateful for all your questions, but this is this is one that I'm I'm, I'm super excited to share about because I do um, believe that you know part of part of my life's mission is to to engage others in, in in thinking about this, and it's so important for us to get involved um, to be able to um, to advance justice and and specifically for reproductive justice, like for folks who are who are interested. Um, uh, I you know invite you to join in, um, in in taking action. And a couple of things that you can do: um, you can contact your lawmakers and ask them to uh, pass legislation that is advancing um, reproductive right or reproductive justice. So uh, we have a bill that um, is going through the legislature right now called the Heal for Immigrant Families Act, um, which would expand access to everyone living in the US. Um, and, and, and as I said, you know, a lot of uh, folks who are undocumented um, or, or as I said, there's like waiting periods for certain folks with uh, immigrant folks with documentation. Um, the Heal for Immigrant Families Act would remove all of that. It would allow everybody to be a participant in our healthcare system and to have the access that they need. So, so that's something that we're really excited about. Um, we're also really excited about um, ending the discriminatory practice called the Hyde Amendment. Um, which was uh, a, a, a part of the budget um, that has been renewed every year that basically says that um, federal money from the US cannot pay for abortion services. Um, and it's, you know, it's created so many inequities for our communities um, who are lower income, um, mostly communities of color um, in being able to have access to this care. And we're really close this year with um, 
the, the current um, president of the United States and his administration putting forth a budget that did not include the Hyde Amendments, that did not include that restriction. And so well, there's momentum there. And so um, folks listening can um, call your legislators, urge your senators specifically, if you live in the US, um, to, um, to, to vote for this, uh, this budget without the Hyde Amendment and to vote for the HEAL for Immigrant Families Act. Um, so those are two really important things. Um, but beside that, for folks maybe um, who want to get involved in other ways, um, we really think that there are ways to get involved in your local community with, with volunteering, um, with, uh, you know, like um, just joining, joining local efforts um, if, if you have the capacity. Um, there's just so many ways digitally now to get involved as well, like sending um, sending notes to, to legislators, but also sending notes to community members to, to raise awareness. Um, and, 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 and also, you know, as I said, getting involved with like volunteering. So there's myriad volunteer opportunities with, with many organizations. And um, so that's, you know, I think that that's another really strong way for folks to, um, to live their values and to, to move, um, you know, to, to get involved and to, and to raise their voices. I think that, um, there are like folks sometimes feel like, well, you know, I'm just one person, like, what can I do? And, uh, you know, I think, again, the tangibles like of, of taking action on policy and legislation, but also again, like putting your time, putting your, your if you have any like extra funds that you wanna uh, share with, with organizations like ours and others that are doing this work, all of those things can go a long way. Um, the smallest of, of contributions of time or, or money or, or expertise or it, it, brilliance like can, can go a long way. Um, and, and then ultimately just just talking about this is really important. It's another way that uh, that we grow um, consciousness about the issues that we're facing. It's another way that we um, create community around this. And it's another way that we kind of like build the system of, of, of change that we're going to we want to see, right? Like if we're if we're um, you know, having the goal, for example, to like tell five people every day about a new thing we learned about reproductive justice and how they can get involved. Like that's a way to build this movement and a way to make change that, um, you know, some of us don't don't really think about every day. So, uh, so I encourage folks to do that and um, Twitter and Instagram at Latina Institute and on Facebook um, with, at National Latina Institute for Reproductive Justice. So it's a longer name, but uh, find <laughs> us on Instagram and Twitter. All right, thank you so much for your expertise. And I suppose um, we've come to the end of the episode. But with that being said, thank you all very much for listening and we will see you next time. Mm -hmm.